0: Hello, I'm Jack Gilbert from Get Schooled, student stories from across Kentucky, and I'm here to tell you that this episode is from our National Geographic Partnership known as the Kentucky Ed Storytellers Fellowship. These episodes have been researched, written, recorded, and edited by individual teams with support from the Get Schooled team. This episode features Ella Recopoli, Ishani Kulkarni, and Aiden Velo from Jefferson County. Enjoy. Hi everyone. My name
1: is Aiden Velo and welcome to the Old and Novel Podcast. Today, my co-hosts are Ishani Kulkarni and Ella Recopoli. discussing diversity and representation in today's school literature. will mainly be focused on the education system in Kentucky, as that's where we're all from. And we will be looking at how we might want to consider a refreshing new outlook on how students today can be more invested in reading. We will also be interviewing two English teachers from one of Jefferson County public schools, and asking them about their experiences with diversity and inclusivity within the work they provide in their classrooms.
2: I'm Ella Recapoli, and I'm going to be leading our intro discussion for today. So before I get too far into our questions and our actual discussion, I want to start with a little bit of a disclaimer in that when we talk about um, these beloved classics that we're reading in schools, important, but that they're literary classics for a reason, and that they have their own lessons and nuances that they want to teach us. So it's not as much about replacing as adding in other literature, where we're seeing more representation. Um, I just wanted to get that out of the way before we started talking about why we do want to incorporate different kinds of literature. Um, Just because we're not sending out hate, we are just trying to discuss and educate as to the importance of representation in literature. So let's talk about why it's important. Um, Our schools in the U.S. are getting increasingly more diverse, and our literature has not really changed a whole lot in terms of the classics that everybody is going to be reading. So I think in media, there is a line between what is respectfully representative and what is blatantly stereotyping. And this isn't just talking about books, this is talking about movies and shows. And why do we think this is important?
1: So when people see themselves or others um, in books or whatever media they're consuming, they form ideas and stereotypes about these people featured in this media, specifically books, um, which... Uh, often case, can be caricatures of the complex and interesting lives that authors may sometimes be simplifying. This is especially apparent when someone, uh, and this is historically cisgendered white males, try to write a complete tapestry of people whose culture, religion, and gender they know very little about, and it usually ends up being incomplete and misrepresenting these groups of people, which again can in turn influence those who are consuming or reading these books and that can affect society as a whole.
3: Yeah, I agree. It's super important that writers know their responsibility of writing a character. That's different than them. Um, it's important that a character isn't contributing to um, harmful stereotypes or any stereotypes in general. I think it's pretty cool if you make them like their own unique person. They don't have to necessarily contribute to their like assigned role of a stereotype. And yeah, I get it. As writers, it's, you know, it's very difficult to kind of interpret what is a stereotype and what is representation. And I feel like it's open to in- inter- interpret for everybody, but there are more harmful stereotypes that you want to make sure that you aren't including um because it, it just it's really harmful. And there will always be people that don't agree with what you write, like if you're writing a character that's like part of a different community than you, there will always be critique. And I think that it's important to accept it, take it into consideration and use it for writing future characters because I, I, I feel like it's justified. Um, Ella, do you have anything to add?
2: So kind of expanding, it's completely fine and- to write about people or write characters that are completely different from you in terms of race, gender, sexual orientation, etc. It's important how you're doing that. Um, For example, and what you said reminded me of this, it's in movies and in books too. actually really in any sort of media like this, you can tell when males write female characters or when they show female characters on screen. And there have been side-by-side comparisons of the same character, but written and styled by female versus written and styled by a male. And I just think that that's a really important topic to touch on. I also want to say really quick that we'll get, we're will we going to be jumping around a little bit in this discussion time. So we'll be talking about mental health and LGBTQIA+. We're going to be talking about race, culture, religion, ethnicity, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And so if that's a little jumpy, just know that, you know, that's how it and is. More yeah. And yeah. Version, right. Um, as we talk about our interviews. This is just us talking and we'll get into some more of the evidence and some more of the actual structured interview stuff. But for right now, this is just us discussing it and what's important to us. All right, Ashani.
3: Okay, so going back to the importance of showing this representation in literature um kids start to read at a very young age they develop a mentality at a very young age so it is important that writers know their responsibility of accurately displaying accurate re- accurate representation in literature because kids are forced to read books in school and this is where they develop start to develop their um st- these stereotypes
2: anyone want to I would like to add on that. Um, Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that especially when you're a kid, what you're being exposed to really shapes your worldview and how you see yourself in the world and how you see other people in the world. Um, And that's why, you know, representation in literature is not just important for those kids who are seeing themselves in books or on screens. It's important for other kids who may be seeing themselves on screen or in books who may already be seeing themselves but are not seeing kids like their friends or like their peers and especially since storytelling is one of the biggest ways we learn empathy and how does my experience differ from yours and so you know when you're only seeing characters that reflect yourself you're not getting that same kind of learning something about somebody else or somebody else's culture or somebody else's religion.
3: Yeah, um, I just like to share a personal anecdote. Um, so basically, when I was growing up in elementary school, um, see, I'm Indian, so I would bring ethnic food to school. And a lot of my friends were white. And so they weren't as educated about the food in and in Indian culture. And so they would make these, I, it was ignorant comments. It would, they were really young, so I get it. Um, but they would make these comments that would just make me feel like I was the only person that understood myself in my school. And I feel like it's really important to, you know, incorporate representation of all cultures so that kids growing up know and know how to share empathy with other people.
2: Right. We're trying to normalize these different types of stories.
1: Yeah. Um, just on the lines of Ashani's anecdote, I have an anecdote of my own. Um, again, when I was in elementary school, I we had uh, Chinese speaking classes, and there was also a elective for a Chinese club. And people would make, again, these comments all the time while I was in this club. But my favorite uh, and most memorable moment of that club is when we ordered uh, Americanized Chinese food from a restaurant, uh, a very local restaurant. And it was just egg rolls, noodles, and rice. But these kids, they acted like they've never seen this stuff before. They were afraid to try it. And so I'm saying that the point of all of this is that at a very young age, we're put into this kind of uncreativity where we are not expected to try new things or experience other cultures. And because of that, uh, we grow wary or afraid of things that we don't know. And over time, uh, even at elementary school, these kids and in, in general are afraid to try new things.
2: Touching on that, um, I also have a personal anecdote, but (laughs) in response to what you were saying about like, you know, being kind of scared and hesitant because you've just never heard about that or seen that and that's okay. But I think that, you know, we're living in an extremely globalized society right now. And honestly, in recent history, the U.S. has been, you know, a huge mishmash of different cultures and languages and foods and I think that especially in 2021, it's expected and required for you to at least not be fully ignorant to different types of people and foods and cultures. Um, And moving on to my personal anecdote, um, I'm half white and half Indian. and. I know that I have seen some Indian characters in books that I've read in schools, and I have definitely seen white characters, but I haven't seen myself represented as a mixed kid in these books really at all, to be honest. Um, And I think that there's a whole set of... And so I know for me personally, as someone who really likes to read, um, I had kind of stopped reading for a little while. And it wasn't until I was reintroduced to some of the books that were actually on my parents' shelves, that I kind of started taking an interest again in the things I was reading. Um, And for me, that was a lot of like Indian diasporic literature. And this literature touches a lot on themes of self-identity and racial identity and I just thought that that was really important for me as my growth and identity in being mixed in the U.S.
3: Um, okay, so I want to add something that I also think is really important. So um, I feel like a lot of people have this perception, I'm going to give a specific book, that um, books like, for example, The Hate You Give accurately portray African-American like problems. And while I cannot speak for them, I feel like we shouldn't associate one problem and like in this case, police brutality with an ethnic group. So like for Indians, I guess it would be um, over overbearing parents or, um, you know, having to deal with um, controlling their accents or something like that. They can go through other problems like going through college life, like just like different problems that don't have to associate with
2: the stereotypes. If you get what I mean. Right, and I think that goes back to normalization of all different races and ethnicities and all different walks of life. Not held back by stereotypical problems and not just trying to see ourselves as like, you're that very specific stereotype. Aiden, is there anything you'd like to add at this moment? Yes.
1: Yeah, and shifting the discussion into a different direction. Um, I'd like to say that with the writing community and authors of these books, even though most of our discussion is how can you change your characters um, or how can you make your writing more diverse, there's also the thought of what will happen when you do so because sometimes, uh, especially if a white writer falsely portrays diverse characters, even when they are trying their best to portray them accurately. And they try and keep up with their homework and they do their work and research. If they do it incorrectly, or if a group that they have tried to portray isn't accurately represented, then especially with cancel culture and being able to say, well, since you didn't do this right, or you didn't portray us as a culture, religion, gender correctly, then you aren't allowed to use our names or use our group again, because we're afraid you're gonna do it wrong again. But I just wanna say that if writers continue to try and they continue to write what they want, and they include a diverse cast, and over time, these, uh, these writers will be able to build their repertoires. And over time, they'll continually get better and have more experience writing with these characters that if they listen to um, the hate or people that found the writing disingenuous or uh, discriminatory, if they have been trying, then eventually they'll grow as a writer and they'll be able to more accurately portray these characters. And especially in the age of the internet, uh, online communities can help foster uh, new writers or experienced writers writing different characters. They can give different suggestions. There's so many communities out here um, online that writers can use to explore the discussions about their books and the characters in their books and they can use uh, constructive criticism of people to elevate how they write a diverse and culturally sensitive cast of characters.
2: Yeah, I absolutely agree and I think that that was really well said. Um, I want to include some of the cool quotes kind of moving on from some of the mishmash of what we were talking about um this is going to be talking more about race in terms of diversity and fewer stereotypes so here are some quotes that i found and really liked from our last quote from this article Is Last year, 11% of children's books published in the United States featured main characters who were African or African-American, about 9% were about Asian-Americans or Pacific Islanders, about 7% featured Latino main characters, and only 1% were about Native peoples. That's in contrast to the demographics of public schools today, where there are now more students of color than white students. Push for Books with More Diversity, Fewer Stereotypes, written by Sarah Schwartz. All right, so another quote from the same article. For decades, children's books in school libraries and classrooms have overwhelmingly featured white faces. And as the U.S. school-age population grows more diverse, students of color are less likely than white students to see books with characters that look like them or share their cultural background. That kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about, you know, we're becoming more diverse and we're not really seeing that represented in our books. Aiden? Yeah, sure. So those numbers really, (laughs) I mean, I know we've talked about it, but yeah, those numbers are really sad. All I'm saying is I would like to show my children when I'm older, hey, look at this book I read in school and look how much representation there is. (laughs) Yeah, I I want my kids to be exposed to all sorts of different types of cultures and feel comfortable around all sorts of religions and races and everybody really because, you know, a lot of children are not exposed to that like we think that they are from Education Week. So supporters of diverse books say that it's important for children of color to see their own identities and experiences reflected in literature. And studies have shown that black children who receive messages emphasizing cultural pride, though not necessarily through books, have higher self-esteem, better social, emotional functioning, and increased classroom engagement.
3: Wow. So this is w- imperative that we diminish stereotypes in literature and include more representation. and. This is just so that people of color or any of any religion don't feel ashamed of themselves and can freely express who they are. And in the coming generations, when they have children, they it would be great to preserve culture. And as the use of English is increasing and, you know, native languages and other languages are decreasing, it's important to preserve these languages. And again, um, some people might be ashamed due to lack of representation.
1: I'd like to introduce the um, the thought that students and teachers, they're the ones consuming these books, and they're the ones being affected by whatever the writers write. And so sometimes people um, diverse our society as it is today, which is experienced or haven't had the conversation of race, ethnicity, stereotypes, I think that it should be mandatory in schools. Students and teachers in the classrooms are afraid to talk about these difficult discussions like race, ethnicity, gender, identity, because they haven't done it before or they haven't been introduced to those topics in their life. But I think that's the purpose of school, to give these students a chance to experience new things and to help them be more prepared for... And even if they haven't had too much because of how important it is and how much it's stressed in today's culture, and especially teachers, they need, they may not have experience if they have been teaching for years upon years on years. And we'll cover this more in our interview discussion, but they, I, I believe they should take the leap. They should persevere as teachers, and as leaders of our youth, they need to do what we all need to do as a society uh, in order to change our longstanding beliefs, our culture, and our society, and our world from the ground up.
2: It's (laughs) And
1: because teachers play such an important role in our society, teaching kids, and for us, teaching high schoolers, then what they're doing is we're trying to change.
3: Okay, um, so I just wanted to include a quote that I found. Um, it was f- also from, no, it was from um, Harvard News. Um, it says, it's a mistake to think having the books gives people the tool to teach the books, which basically means that it, having books that have accurate representation doesn't necessarily mean that a teacher will have the ability to properly kind of execute it to the class, which is why I feel like diverse literature should be included in teachers' training so they don't p- feel confused, unprepared, or uncomfortable when teaching about a situation in a book, so they don't shy away. Ella? Yes
2: we understand that like a lot of issues like this this is systemic this is not something that's going to be fixed overnight we're just talking about it and that teacher training and even like really getting books into schools takes a really long time and so i just want to put that out there and that's the double standard that we're trying to move past so we're gonna wrap up our discussion for right now and we're going to be moving into some of our own research that we conducted when we were asking students in Kentucky how they felt about this issue and how they felt about the literature they've been reading in schools.
1: Okay, so we put out a survey several weeks ago and as of now we have 28 responses from mainly students in Jefferson County uh, mainly girls, and with a light spreading of race, gender, and age. Now, what does this show? So, there was a question in our survey that asked the respondents about how connected they felt with the books they were reading. And the most common responses were relatively connected. On a scale of 1 to 10, they mainly picked 7 to 8. Uh, and there was the second highest was the absolute opposite of the spectrum being very uh, disconnected, which was mainly twos and threes. Now, one interesting note was that very few people that took our survey chose the extremes of being completely connected or disconnected from books, which I think shows how people are willing to change their perspectives. So, I guess now we'll open up the discussion to anyone have any responses that they found that stuck out to them or that they found interesting. Yep, Ashani.
3: Um. So we asked a question: If you've ever been disinterested or disconnected, what books made you feel this way? And a lot of the answers were Animal Farm, The Odyssey. The Hobbit, um, you know, monsters. I I saw a lot of Animal Farm, so, um, that should tell you a lot about what students' interests are. Um, Animal Farm, if you don't know, it's focused a little bit on political, a little bit political, and I feel like... It's an allegory, right? Yeah, it's an allegory. (laughs) Yeah, and, um, yeah, so I feel like those types of books don't really spark any interest in students mind and they don't simulate anything so i feel like we should replace them with more interesting more relevant books
2: so one of the responses i found um personally compelling um was when in our question which question was it when it was the um whether you think your culture is represented. Um, There was one response that was talking about about how they have not really seen their Eastern European slash like Balkan culture represented a lot. And that the literature focuses a lot on Western Europe. And it often groups the culture of Western and Eastern Europe together when Eastern European culture is very different. Um, It also says most Balkan nations are underdeveloped countries with a relatively low standard of living. The Balkan culture is more similar to that of the Islamic world. However, textbooks tend to group it with Western Europe, which I think is really cool because I think even now we're like not even like thinking about that too much in terms of like, you know, grouping different countries and nations together.
3: Okay, another response that stuck out to me is um was answering this question if you've ever been disinterested or disconnected in any books what books made you feel this way and one person wrote I feel like if the book is too old like something I can't relate to at all then I won't read it some of the teachers include really old books that I don't like also if there is absolutely no diversity in the book then I also won't read it if it's boring and very slow and old and there's no humor then I won't read it if it's modern and action-packed and fast-paced and funny and then I'll read it oh and I'll give it to Aiden
1: yeah, I think that definitely shows what we're trying to talk about in our podcast today. Another rep, or another example of answer in our survey, one that I want to quote, is, as a gay woman, I have not read any literature in school that represents me. In my own reading, I've picked things that have queer representation, and I feel like it represents me well. In school, if we read any LGBTQ plus literature... I feel like it would be a bad experience. And even the teachers would say inappropriate and damaging things. The students and parents would probably protest and be extremely mad." So I think this example shows how not everything is black and white. You can't immediately insert these modern readings of diverse casts and characters immediately into schools. You have to go on a cycle, I guess um it just has to be put into parts to keep everyone comfortable while they're making the transition towards more diverse literature in schools so you want to i feel like this is also an example that was shown in our survey where no one is completely yes or no that i think literature is completely non-represented or interesting the opposite, reading the books, and making sure that we go about it in the right way so that everyone can experience the full weight that reading these books should bring, and making them feel welcome, because it's not about reading these books, it's about letting people understand these cultures, and letting people of their own culture, religion, gender, etc., feel welcome while reading these books and a different approach would work better.
3: Okay, Um. another thing I want to add on is from another question. Do you feel like your culture or identity is rep- represented in the literature you read? And if so, is it portrayed accurately? And one person also says, I feel that for the most part, my personal culture is not really represented at all. It is treated as a generally trivial thing. It never comes from malice, but the misinformation is significant. And again, this goes back to really heavily emphasizing on getting rid of stereotypes i know we've mentioned it like a lot but it's so important that we get rid of stereotypes and ella do you want to add anything
2: yeah i think that in terms of our survey and kind of wrapping up i think Aiden did a really good job of like kind of bringing in a lot of different points and kind of you know tying them up nicely but i think to kind of conclude what we were talking about with our survey the fact that a lot of students both feel neutral represented and completely non-represented or that they acknowledge like hey i'm represented but i'm also like a white male you know like stuff like that it's like but here's other representation um also especially kids is you know understanding kids struggles And I feel like a lot of the times in elementary school and middle school, we read a lot of books about kids in our age group. And as kids kind of start growing up in this, you know, years of high school, as we're moving into ninth and 10th and 11th grade, reading books from about kids, keeping them
1: immersed in the story, able to insert themselves into the characters. Right. Another quote from... Another person that took the survey, uh, I'll read this word for word, was, for example, Cinderella could be Black, Asian, Australian, for all we know. It's obviously different for movies because we can clearly see the race, but for stories, she could be anything, unless the plot centers around the race of the person, like if it's about the struggles of being Black in America. I honestly don't really pay attention to what race the characters are because it doesn't change the story in my opinion. So, as a response to this, I think this is definitely a, a amazing point that's brought up. Kudos to the respondees. I think that it's really important to know that whatever someone's struggle is, it doesn't have to be a defining point in their character or as a person, just in the real world, not in stories. And we discussed this a little in our main discussion, but I think if it's not too important, nothing has to be centered around it. People don't even have to know if it's not important, you don't have to make everything about who someone is physiologically or culturally, if it's not essential to the story, nor does it add to the world building or anything like that. But I do feel that in some stories, it adds a little bit of contextualization, like apartheid or being an indigenous group. It does matter who you are as a uh, as a label in some sense, uh, not to mean that like in a, any rude way, but it matters for the story. It may not directly affect the story, but it can affect how readers perceive certain characters and help them understand why your character is doing a certain action.
2: Yeah, I'd like to add to that and kind of talk about how I feel about that. What I think what you're saying and what I'm, you can, you know, argue with me on this if uh, you disagree, but I think what you're basically saying is people's identity in stories is important and it builds character and it really helps set up your scene, it helps set up your characters and understand yeah, world building, understanding their emotional center, etc, etc but that when you're reading books especially when you're reading a book say about a minority group in a predominantly you know white classroom is like that doesn't have to be the core of the story all the time because when you think about it like this really if you had a white character in a book in the us they're not really constantly dealing with You know, their racial identity and their racial struggles in the U.S. And it's just you can see the parallels of like if you have a black character or an Asian character or an indigenous character, you see how a lot of the times in books, you know, while it's good to talk about their struggles in terms of their setting and where they are, that doesn't have to be the core of their character all the time. And it doesn't have to be just this kind of like part of like conflict. Aiden. Yeah, it's
1: an example of that is like looking at a ripped painting, you look at each of the individual pieces, you only see a part of that person. But when you put them all together, it becomes more complete, more complex, and you can see the full picture without being only drawn towards one part. And with that, I think that the base, the standard for characters in writing for basically forever, um, or at least for the until in America for the past couple of hundred years, was a straight white man. I mean, there is no getting around that unless defined otherwise by the author.
2: Unless we're talking about straight white women. And in that case. Well, yes,
1: but <laughs> oh, yeah. if those are like additives to every character, you have to say that or else the reader will assume that it's a straight white man, which there's nothing wrong with that per se, but you got to think you want some other types of people in your writing.
3: Um. Okay, so this basically just goes back to the topic of storytelling. Like, for example, um, let's say a person in India, a student in India is reading about a character that's also Indian, but is living in the United States. They wouldn't want to read about you know the constant struggle of getting picked on their accent or getting picked on being smart or something along the lines of that they would want to know how this indian character is living their life in a completely different country in around surrounded by completely different people
2: hello right themes of indian diasporic literature <laughs> like we were talking about earlier so yeah I think our survey responses were really interesting. And I kind of liked hearing other students in our area that were than just ourselves like, hey, I don't really feel like we're represented, but like, why don't we talk to some other kids? Because there's, you know, articles written by adults about how the books that we have in schools aren't enough. And then there's our own opinions. But I think that looking at that was really interesting. And we're going to be segueing actually speaking of looking into our different lenses and talking to different people. We're going to be soon talking to two teachers at Jefferson County Public Schools. We have two English teachers. So yeah, we're going to be interviewing a couple of teachers from DuPont Manual High School about their life as an English teacher and their thoughts about our topic and representation within today's classroom literature.
3: Good afternoon, Ms. Slagle and Miss Brennan. My name is Ashani Kulkarni, and me and my two partners, Aiden Bilo and Ella Rekopali, are creating this podcast to advocate for more relevant and representative literature in Kentucky schools. We're going to ask some questions about where you stand on this topic and your opinions and experiences as English teachers teaching at DuPont Manual High School. So first off, introduce yourselves. What's your education background? How long have you been teaching? And anything else you may want to share with us.
4: Well, I'll go first, since I am at the beginning of the alphabet. Um, My name is Martha Brennan. I teach ninth grade English at DuPont Manual High School. I've been teaching for 16 and a half years, and I have a, a BA in English and an MA in English, and of course, the teaching certification.
5: My name is Becky Slagle. I also teach freshman English at Manual High School. That I will begin my 26th year of teaching in the fall. And um, I have, I majored in both French and English. So I have two BAs in French and English. And then I have a master's in English and um, a master's that was to get my teaching certificate as well. So, and I have a certification in um, ESL that, I appreciate that about myself as well. So that's, that's that's what you got.
3: That's really really cool. <laughs> um, okay. Um, now we're going to go into some more direct questions about um, how you teaching. Um, how you how do you decide what books or readings to assign to your students? Are they a part of a specific curriculum, or do you pick and assign them? Anyone can go,
4: Miss Brennan. Yeah. Okay. Well, I whatever Miss Slegel tells me to teach, I teach. And so, <laughs> now, so, no, really, it's kind of a combination. Like the district lays out certain things that they want you to teach, but they don't mandate that. And so, but it, it does give you some ideas because of course, across our district, we have all sorts of schools. So just because more is teaching one thing, does that mean manuals should teach that too? So, um, and lately here, and I guess every year, try to pick some kind of umbrella theme that all our literature can fall under. So um, that's pretty much h- how I look at it. And it depends on the kids too. Like we have a group of ninth graders coming in that maybe not be ready for certain materials as previous ninth graders were. So it's, it's in this case, coming up, it's gonna be a, a wait and see. A lot of it's gonna be wait and see.
5: And sometimes We have, so Manuel has a book room. And we have a list of books, um, you know, that these are these are the books that are available. And these are the books that freshman teachers can choose from. These are the books that sophomore teachers can. And there's there's very little overlap in that. Some grades have a lot of books and some grades don't have very many books. And so like Miss Brennan and I might say, you know, we really think that this book might be a good book for freshmen to read. So we double check those lists and we we might talk to other English teachers about, you know, we don't, because you don't want to step on a junior teacher's toes if you're a freshman teacher and read what they're going to, you know what they have planned for you all to read in 11th grade as a ninth grade. So there's kind of some compromising that goes on. Um, and I guess the other thing, maybe sometimes it's a budget choice. Some schools in the district don't have lots of book money to buy brand new, you know, if a book comes out, that's really kind of like a couple of years ago, the um, prequel to, to Kill a Mockingbird was published. Mm-hmm. Lots of schools jumped on that bandwagon to read that book as a kind of a parallel book to *To Kill a Mockingbird*, and um, so if you have the that that's handy. And I'm not manual um, has lots of choices in the book room, but interestingly enough, there's there's kind of a tight little list of books that that lots of teachers read each year.
1: Um, so I think we're asking the next question, and so this one's a pretty easy one. But what what are your favorite books?
2: Okay,
4: well, I, my favorite book of all time, to both read with students to teach, and probably I feel like has had a, uh, an influence on my life is *To Kill a Mockingbird*. Uh, it's just such a well-written book, and it's a great story. And there's hidden things in there like. You could teach you could teach it in eighth grade. You could teach it all through eighth grade through twelfth grade, I think, and find something different. Another book, though, that has really um, because I've taught it to juniors a lot, and that's *The Bluest Eye*. And the more I go back to that book, the more I can appreciate that book as well by Toni Morrison. So, yeah, so funny. It's okay. I've
5: my um high school like my essay to get into college was about *To Kill a Mockingbird*, so I have long loved *To Kill a Mockingbird* forever. Um, and I reread the side of summer so I. but I, I um, took an 18th century literature um, class when I was in college so there's a book called Middlemarch it is the most like it is like this huge thick gross book where the narrator kind of talks about just like things that she sees and she looks out her window mm-hmm. I
4: never
5: teach that book to any mm-hmm. people ever but the narrator's voice in that book is one of my favorite um, voices so I have read that book many times but kind of it's a book you kind of get lost in the language it doesn't have nearly as much plot as but, but again I would never teach that book I I really like teaching I like teaching to kill a mockingbird although there's a couple of chapters in there that kids kind of roll their eyes out a little bit I really like teaching the book um of mice and men to kids because you kind of want kids to like like the book and and sometimes it's really exciting to teach a book that you know that kids are going to love once they fit like to kill a mockingbird mm-hmm. is a book that you're just like oh if you just hang on you're going to love the way that book ends um blue Sky* is has but of mice and men is a good one
4: mm-hmm.
5: i mean I, now, there, oh, I taught a book i'll save this for the anecdotes i was going to say yeah. something. <laughs> some more of an I'll save.
3: okay yeah, all the books that you mentioned, um, I think we went over them this year in our English class, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they all were pretty interesting. The excerpts that you guys picked out, so I like like how you guys have experiences, and each year you kind of um, take that experience and you take it into consideration consideration of what new ninth graders would like. And yeah, I've in, read *To Kill a Mockingbird*. Took it in one of
5: my graduate courses, though, this professor, I thought she was silly at, at the time, but she said, "Don't ever teach your favorite book to or your favorite." favorite poem to a class because inevitably some kid like in the back is going to be like this sucks we hate this poem and so I always kind of know that in the back of my head like you, you know you can't put you can't say that the bluest eye is your favorite book without knowing that somebody's going to be like Pacola, stupid picola
2: <laughs> yeah I can have easy. to like
5: separate yourself a little bit from that kind of personal because books are so personal um, and yeah. how you imagine them and what what the kind of the that kind of is written on your soul a little bit when you read them.
3: Yeah, that's completely true. Okay, moving on to the next question. Um, what skills do you think should be required to teach students while taking an English class?
4: I had a, I had a clarifying question on that one. Yeah, Are you talking, either. did you mean teacher skills or student skills?
3: Um, you can talk about both. Oh, okay. Hmm. Will you say the question one more time, Ishani? Yeah. Um, What skills do you think should be required to teach students while taking an English class? Well,
4: obviously kind of just a basic ability to read. And then I think it's the teacher's job to figure out what skills, what reading skills that student has and teach them other reading skills to deepen their level of reading. So for example, to uh, make inferences or to understand symbolism or see illusions, because students aren't gonna come, some some students are gonna come with that, but a lot of students don't come with that. And so then I think it's our job to give them those skills so that they can
5: well, so when like, when Miss Brennan and I are talking about books, like the, these ninth graders who really are going to come as interested seventh graders this next year, because they will have missed that eighth grade. Eighth grade tends to be a really huge transition year for kids. You know, you think about, all right, well, you know, you learn vocabulary when you read, you learn, you know, structure or kind of that kind of stuff, but you also learn text and subtext and inferences like Miss Brennan was talking about. Well, you can teach those with lots of different books. And sometimes and you absolutely don't want to teach a book that is kind of beyond where a kid is because then well one they'll you know you they'll ruin the book for you because you're just like oh they're not ready to get they don't get hamlet's struggle that is that is not where they are and so so you you can throw that out there as a book but if they're not quite if, if the book doesn't meet them where they are kind of emotionally um then it then it kind of it kind of falls apart. I mean, there are some teachers who I I don't know. I sped up the reading of a book one time when I realized I was gonna kill it. Like the book was gonna die, a horrible death in our class. Didn't want to ruin the book for them. But sometimes there's nothing worse than realizing you're in the middle of the book and the kids aren't liking it and it's kind of a bad choice for the class. And so um you can teach lots. Of of skills with lots of different books that's part of like the discussions that miss brennan and i will have this she will be like Mm -hmm. are we really going to do that with these kids because we're not sure they're ready to read that you know like because we'll get to know them emotionally and just socially so i do think part of the responsibility of a um teacher is to kind of recognize all of the variables that go into a book but I, i think as a kid part of me as a student um in some ways you want the student to trust your choice. Like this is probably not a book that you would read on your own, but trust me that this is, cause it's it's a little bit different to read a book when you're searching for skills too. Cause you, cause that means the work you're doing with the book is a lot different. So the teacher has to be far enough away from the text to figure out what skills you're doing, but also the kid has to come in with like, all right, I'll play your game. I can play this little game and slow mm-hmm. down. Um,
3: yeah, so I think there has to be like a compromise with the teacher and the students. Like the student has to be like willing to go into this and be willing to keep an open mind about um, everything that's open to interpret. And then the teacher has to also think about books that would capture a student's attention. And I think that's- a really Well, and theoretically idea.
5: you could read, I mean, you could read the same book for an entire school year, you know, and just get really, because there are, you know, if you're an English major in college, well, Miss Brennan and I went to a master's program where people would read one book for a, you know, six week period and just really like get really, really intense kind of in discussion and, and so you can, I mean, there are some schools of thought that say, you know, the fewer texts you read, you just go deep or, um, you know, they, and, you know, there's a whole debate about whether, well, if y'all are reading that at Musique, should we really read that at manual again? Um, mm-hmm is maybe it's okay to read something twice and do you know it can be a totally different experience or mm-hmm. all
4: that. Yeah. and then now freshmen freshmen at manual when they come or ninth graders come they are much more willing to read I think than than my juniors were and I feel like it's my responsibility to grab them get them interested in the text so that that Reading does continue on because then because I think especially with all the magnets they older the older students become much more involved in all their magnets and they forget about the reading so um, I'm hoping as a ninth grade teacher that maybe can still I can instill in them some love of that reading and understanding of that study.
5: because you also know that you, as a response, you as a teacher, could kill it for them too.
4: Yeah. Like, yes, so I could. Teachers yeah.
5: kill that, like blow that game mm-hmm. if you want to. <laughs> reading is kind of a, yeah, it it can really go both ways. So you, mm-hmm. you feel that as freshmen, like, oh, I don't want to. No one that's going to ruin their love for reading. Yeah.
3: Yeah, for a lot of people, reading is an escape, and like I feel like there's some pressure on you guys to like make sure that it doesn't become like an assignment or like work yeah but then
5: that's the the deal is that our our job is to walk
4: you through reading as an assignment it is it's the study of Mm -hmm. literature and writing rather than the if enjoyment comes out of it that's great but really it's almost like, okay, we study history, we study science. Well, we study literature. Yeah. And <laughs> that's what well, we do. <laughs> so
5: teaching, so the grade that you teach is really important because when you're teaching juniors and seniors, and um, you're able because the kids, the students are a little bit more sophisticated if they're hanging in with you, then you can step back a little bit. Um, you know, like Ella, are you a freshman as well?
2: Yeah, right. sorry for being, oh, kind no, of no, it's
5: I, to, I know. <laughs> but, you know, like reading Animal Farm, we didn't quite in our classes get, get to the point of like stepping back and being able to say, look at those chapter titles of, you know, of, I don't know, Animal Farm, or look at, let's look at the first paragraph of that and really do like the writerly analysis of Animal Farm that you might do in an upper level. Mm-hmm. So you can't. <clears throat> you know, mitigate the difficulty of the analysis based on kind of the experience of the student and freshmen. Lots of freshmen at Manual are coming. I mean, there are some students at Manual who, through no, no fault of their own, have not ever read a, a book as a student. Um, they just haven't, yeah. schools don't prioritize, you know, complete texts. So it just, it just really depends on middle
4: school experience and stuff.
2: Yeah, I think um, to add in there, like what you're talking about, like Freshman and like um, as an assignment, like personally, like uh, I'm don't know if I'm homeschooled and I just came on here. So probably haven't talked about, you know, but, and so a lot of the reading assignments and like a lot of the reading that I do is like um, kind of purely based on like the kind of literature that I want to read. So like in the winter, I was reading a lot of philosophy and I was reading. A lot of right now I'm reading a lot of memoirs. And so it kind of like that for someone who already is really interested in reading is like it's kind of easy for me to guide myself, whereas someone who might not already be interested in that kind of, you know, finding your own literature like that might be more difficult. And that's where teachers have a really important job of like, you know, here's different types of literature and like here's like what we're learning from it. So, yeah, I think there's like different aspects to consider there, too. So the next question is
1: so as we all know, literature from the oldest civilizations to the 20th century are all very important with many nuances and lessons to explore. But since culture, language, and people change drastically over time, how would you propose to make outdated books more relevant to today's
4: audience? Would you like me to go first, Miss Lego? You can't. <laughs> can I... Okay, go ahead. I have a okay. an You do, I feel like this is a a really important question because it gets to the heart of where we are as a society right now. And um, it's, I think relevant to today's audience but relevant to today's uh, events, what's going on. So like we can take, so this is my plan. So you know how you, you guys, how we did Hamilton Okay. So I really, I, I don't even like musicals, but I really loved this Hamilton. I love the story, the poetry in it, all that stuff. So I'm like, next year, that's it. I'm teaching Hamilton full on. Okay. But I'm going to teach Hamilton as a tragic um, hero. Okay. And that comes from Aristotle. So if we go way back to Aristotle, we start with Oedipus Rex. And so I, this summer I researched and I thought, oh, I found a, 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 um what is it? A graphic, graphic novel of Oedipus Rex. So I'm gonna, so I'm gonna copy that, make copies. Okay, and then, so we're gonna- Even though it's a, a sophomore grade. text? It's a sophomore text? Is it a, I don't it's care, sophomore. I don't care. Cycle, I don't care. Okay, so <laughs> so I am, they don't, nobody teaches it. Cycle, who teaches it? Drama teaches it. Okay, so I'm gonna uh, teach Oedipus Rex and we're gonna get all the tragic hero, you know, through the graphic novel an understanding of that and then take those, take that lens and look at Hamilton as a tragic hero because you know in Hamilton's what one of the most popular things going these days so I feel like students will some most students will like it some of, some of the boys students got a little tired of Hamilton I will admit it but if we look at Hamilton as a tragic hero I think they might see it in a different view so that's my answer in just one example
5: so I talk I'm um, teaching kind of is a little bit more humanities space, like some cultural stuff. And so my thinking about it one time, I was just in this really kind of throwaway like PD and one of the teachers for one of these humanities things I was doing said that all the other, cor- all other courses are about the what, the who, the when, the where, but a humanities class is about the why. And I was like, oh my gosh, it is. And so sometimes I think like you can teach. So it's, I really and I, d- I don't mean this because I love Miss Brennan and I love myself, but I do think it takes a certain kind of teacher to be able to handle the why in whatever context they're in. And so I think there's really, my, my kind of mantra that there's meaning in a, a piece of literature to really think about what humans um, were kind of expressing through Oedipus Rex and understand that that human struggle of tragedy and Good, like, good Lord, I love my mother, whatever's going on in Oedipus Rex, is really something that people struggle with anytime. I don't think, I think one of the problems that people get into, there's a school in our district whose running rule in the English department is that they have to read um, one book every six weeks, in oops, sorry, in every single English class. And it has. it is from a very, very, very archaic list of um, authors. And so I do think you have to have a little bit of conversation about yourself when you're talking about like Aristotle, Oedipus Rex, like does this still have merit? Is this the best piece of literature that we can pick to do this? And that's not to say throw everything out because it wasn't written in you know, 2005, but it is to say to have a, have a bit of a conversation with yourself about like, let's look at To Kill a Mockingbird. Is To Kill a Mockingbird, there are some challenges with To Kill a Mockingbird but is it still a beautiful piece of literature and if it is then we can we can manage that but if it's not um is there another piece of literature that can do the same thing but be a little bit more inclusive because there's some really kind of um dangerous pieces of literature in terms of um who they leave out and what they say about different people that I think you have the the right to kind of object to but I think I think there's a real celebration of lots of different perspectives from lots of different things. I don't know, so so, I don't know. I wrestle with some of that too, um, but I, I do think there's something beautiful about mixed and old and new. It, it makes me happy to think that Shakespeare speaks to Lin Manuel Miranda and it, to look at illusions in Hamilton and be like, that is totally from Plato. There it is. It's the, the allegory of the cave. That's it. You know, like, and to be able to make those connections with kids.
3: That's a really interesting out, outlook that you just um, talked about, Ms. Slagle, about how when you're assigning literature, there's, it's not just pick and choose. There's so many deeper, deeper levels of thinking you have to go mm-hmm. through, and um, that's kind of what we're talking about in our podcast. And um, I love the example that you gave of Hamilton, Ms. Brennan. Um, mm-hmm. It has It's like three in one. It's a history lesson, it's a poetry lesson, and it's, just, it's kind of like a song. And not gonna lie, I kind of did go, go through a little bit of the Hamilton phase when you assign <laughs> the books. So it was super cool. Um, yeah. I guess the hard thing
5: is is that you don't gain any time in English class. So as I mean, it it is critical to think about making sure you include um different voices and different, I mean, just even different author, you know, like to have women authors, to have authors of different um authors of different um kind of perspectives and geographical locations and races, but it's hard because that means somebody has to get left out, you know, like you cannot just keep adding books, you have to, you have to take some things away, so there's a real question about, um, I mean, I wrestle with, Miss Brennan does not wrestle with, but I wrestle with (laughs) feeling a little bit responsible for making sure that kids are introduced to kind of some pillars of literature, um, Ms. Brennan and I had some discussions about Romeo and Juliet, like for decades has been kind of the gatekeeper to Shakespeare in freshman years when you read that. And so, and it, and it's about suicide and it's not really particularly act four. You should just like edit it all out. Like it's not particularly his best play, but it kind of meets freshmen where they are because it's a little bit more simplistic and predictable. And so it's a, it, at the same time, you have a
4: responsibility because I've, Right for kid, like me, and you, and you want your tray to be full of lots of different choices. But at the
5: same time, if something's tastes better than something else and you know that it does, and you only have 20 minutes to eat, you know, like you kind of have to make some decisions. And um, it's hard to do, especially manual doesn't make me sweat as much as other schools. Where kids aren't readers on their own, where the only reading they're doing is really what you're providing
3: them. Yeah, that was a really interesting way to put it um, about, like how it makes you hungry. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) it's a great analogy. Yeah, it's difficult too because when you're making decisions like that, and like you know, it takes a lot of time to like you know, kind of come to terms with like what are some of the classics that like are like really impactful, and some of the ones that are a little bit more problematic. And sometimes they're both right. Like they can be both helpful and slightly hurtful in some ways to different people. And so it's also like subjective and like fluid that it's hard to like, you know, and even if we decided like, Hey, this book or this particular, you know, set of characters, it's like, that takes time to kind of filter through. And like, those decisions aren't made in like, you know, as fast as, you know, sometimes we'd want them to be. And I think too, as someone who really does, I mean, I love classic literature too. And so when we first started this podcast, I was like, I really want to like, make it clear that like, we don't want to like completely erase that, you know, like we're just trying to like, you know, add in and not, you know, take every, you know, substitute everything out, you know? Mm -hmm. So kind of, Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
5: It's an important question. Like, do I, do you, I mean, Romeo and Juliet is problematic between Miss Brennan and me, Romeo and Juliet is problematic because I don't necessarily love it, although she thinks I love it. Um, but I do, she you know, it's, I know that it's <laughs> a gatekeeper for other, there are other Shakespearean plays that I love much more that are read at different grades. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what do you do about it? Or do you just let the sophomore teacher introduce it? And, you know, I don't know, I, I, I will say this, Um, there. One of my frustrations of adding new books in is that sometimes books that represent um, people who aren't normally represented and don't aren't as difficult to read and so then I feel like what like yeah doesn't this doesn't tap at the standard that I'm trying to work on with people because it's right. plot's not particularly complicated and it doesn't do like it's not hard so that so that Shakespeare kind of
4: or Shakespeare's just the fill-in for some other things like so one thing well, thing everyone really can wrestle with. Yeah. And I think the example you're probably thinking of is the hate you give. Well, it's a, a fine book, has a has a great plot, follows reality, all of that. It really there's really not much study going on with that book. We can't study it. Um, I taught it or I let my juniors teach it to, to the class. Like so, I didn't do anything with it. They read it and then everybody had to teach a lesson from it. And that was more about Teaching for them, about yeah. yes, presenting and all that kind of stuff. So, so it worked in that situation, but I wouldn't teach it. I wouldn't teach. Well, it so Miss Brennan
5: and I read. Um, you know, we had an English class going on, but we also had this book club going on all year, and I, I was very satisfied. Well, it also allowed people to get to know each other. You know, the online thing was hard, and so people get to know each other more just on a chatty kind of way. But I was fine. I hate you giving a book club, but I, I had miss brennan several times like i just don't see that you know, i'm planning this out as a teacher and i know i need to do this a b and c to get them to have these skills to be ready for sophomore, year, you know to kind of scaffold it up like if this mm-hmm. doesn't bring the heat and other books that kind of would represent those same speakers are a lot more dangerous that that you know you, know, you don't want to alienate you're teaching but you're also in some ways teaching their parents and their values and I mean the stretch is, and when you and when you present a book as you know in some ways teaching a book is saying that there's something about the truth that the book offers that you believe in so so sharing a truth is a really intimate thing to do with a group of strangers and um, sometimes it's easier to share a truth that's not as dangerous um but lots of really good dangerous books are being written that just don't have a place in the classroom because you're teaching other people's children so and and freshmen are, are different in terms of what they can handle
1: I completely agree with what everything you're saying like it's really hard to pick out books especially newer ones with the difficult topics you kind of want to talk about because some people just aren't uh, able to handle that uh, especially at younger ages and maybe they're not able to fully comprehend or maybe as teachers, um, you have to deal with like their parents or someone that doesn't want them to be this kind of stuff.
5: But let me just say, Aiden, I, having said that, I feel the absolute obligation to teach, maybe not dive in head first into dangerous, but but to, I I feel like, fortunately for better, for worse, teaching English, in some ways, requires you to talk about dangerous things. I think I think literature can move a conversation. And there's something. I mean, if the five of us were talking, um, I don't know, race relationships in Detroit, and there's a book in the middle of that conversation. It, it is such a, in some ways, a safe way to have a dangerous conversation. So I think I think English teachers, and it's a huge debate among teachers, how responsible you are to kind of have a political conversation, but I, I I feel a huge responsibility to because I know um that I'm surrounded by 31 people who are living in the same world. Like Mark Ms. Brennan said, we're we're living in a world that requires you to pay attention. And I think if you just hide underneath um, you know, and read Tale of Two Cities or whatever you're reading, I, I think you're really missing an opportunity, but also kind of missing a responsibility that you have to to do that i I think you read the most dangerous book at the end of the year (laughs) like i don't do it but you you know you you build towards danger in the in that because because that also means you need to 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 be able to trust to trust not only the teacher but also trust the people in the room that if i say i really like john it's okay for me to like him even though he's a complicated character you know like i so I I think you have an obligation as a teacher to allow literature to challenge you.
2: Um, I, well, I wanted to say that, like, uh, what you were talking about, like, dangerous books kind of now and, like, topics that, you know, we kind of, it's hard to talk about in the classroom. Um, I think that I find that a lot of the books, and you can correct me if um, I'm kind of wrong, but I find that a lot of the books that are from a certain amount of you kind of had that same kind of, like, know we're talking about sort of dangerous stuff for their time and so now that we're looking at it from the present to the past it's just it's a different lens as we know it's a different perspective but that those kind of also you know offer their own kind of like dangerous or like you know kind of controversial opinions if that makes sense um i also had a question kind of just for myself Um, I don't know if either of you have taught outside of Louisville and of Kentucky, outside of Kentucky, but you were kind of talking about when you're teaching your classroom, you're also teaching like their parents and their families, and that it kind of goes out, you know, beyond just the kids in your classroom. Um, and I know that like our location here is kind of pretty specific to here because in Louisville, we're kind of like in this like little liberal bubble, but then we also live in Kentucky. Have you found that that? has affected how you're like, how you're reaching your kids and your kids' families. Does that make sense? Mm
4: -hmm. I feel like more that more at manual than any other school I've taught at, including I taught a semester at Nelson County. um, The parents are much more involved. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. And want to have a say (laughs) in what not every parent either okay usually there's uh what do how many a year i'd say five five to ten or something yeah that might come out with why, why are you reading that book Why? what kind of standards are you covering with that that kind of thing um and i think it's because i think it's a big jump from eighth grade to ninth grade and we our job as ninth grade teachers are to bring in some of that dangerous literature now and and have, hopefully, um, have parents trust us that we are the professionals and we know how to deal with that literature. That's still scary though for some parents and I get it. So um, <clears throat> yeah, there's been kind of some, what would you call them, Miss Um conflicts, I guess. When you're teaching
5: somebody who's not your own child, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to, um, you're not, I, I mean, the parent, you kind of can mitigate how big the world is for your kid by just not telling them. I mean, you can be not even be like, well, I've never talked about sex with my kid. So, therefore, my kid is not in that world. And so, all of a sudden, you and I, I think as a parent, you think you might be in control of that. But as a teacher, you don't really feel that responsibility for that kid. Your responsibility is kind of like you are in the world. And so, therefore, because you're in this world, these are the variables that are part of that world. And I didn't make this book up, but I find value in it. So we're going to talk about that. Oops! And yes, there's violence, and there's sex, and there's um, you know, language, conflict, and language, and and but but we are we are all in the world, and and so I think it seems like with freshman year, especially, there's a the jump is that parent is not quite ready to have have somebody mm-hmm. expose their child to that, even though the child typically is in the world, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's just the idea. So, so um, I don't know, that, that seems, yeah, but I think you're right, like at Manual, there does seem to be, if a parent is up in arms, it is about the content, really not even the specific content, mm-hmm. just kind of the generic, why are you talking about this book that has this particular, mm-hmm. and so there are plans in place, you know, but I mean, our English department has a statement that we all put in our syllabi about, um, you know, that we feel it's, we feel it's important to talk about, um, you know, things that go on in the world, and we feel like we have a responsibility to do that, and it's a safe place to do it, so some of our poems and books and texts will, you know, contain language and situations that are where it is, um,
4: yeah.
1: So, um, I guess, yeah, it's hard for someone to take the first, or watch your, Um, or watch your child take like the first steps, like Mm -hmm. officially. Uh, And with that comes a lot of interesting responsibility as teachers trying to give all your students a chance to experience uh, a glimpse of the real world while also trying to kind of balance that with um, parents who may want to protect their kids. And um, Ms. Slagle earlier, you were talking about Introducing um, your students to political responsibility, and that kind of sections off into our next question, which is: uh, Do you feel that specifically as English teachers, do you have a, a responsibility to your students, or a job you want to fulfill for them, or teach them before they
4: graduate? Go ahead, Miss Um, Well, I was
5: just sitting. Okay, now I see it. I was just sitting my brother, I'm at the beach here and my brother is here with me. And I was just talking about with, just like a couple of hours ago with my brother about feeling like I got ripped off as a student that some people just didn't tell me. Uh, it was more of a social studies question, but that some people just didn't, it was not that I was like, um, like not educated, but there was this whole kind of narrative, uh, like historical narrative that was given to me. And nobody ever told me like, because because we made this choice here, here were the like the fallout of that. Like here are the things that happened because this is the way American history worked. And it was more complicated than that. He went to a law school and they're having a debate about it's called Washington and Lee. And they're having a debate about whether to change that university's name. And so that's what it was about. But I, so I'm hesitant. I don't think every, you know can you say that a character is like a bad character and I think they're the hero of the story could a kid be wrong to answer your question Aiden I think I feel a responsibility for a kid to come out of a class like sitting in the middle of what they're learning so that they have a voice and that they have some like we talked about in English some agency to choose and make their own own choices but and and the literature comes in that because I think it gives them kind of like a you know, a framework to kind of offer their opinions on, but I also think it it bolsters who they are a little bit. Like if you can have Boxer in the pocket as a character that you recognize and you kind of are familiar with, you can, it kind of gives you some anecdotal kind of power. But I, so I guess I want kids to leave as critical thinkers and, and not necessarily parrots of me, although I would love for somebody to think that Boxer's heroic and, um, you know, think that pigs are pigs and recognize the same pigs in the world that I recognize, you know, but
4: I don't know, Ms. Brennan, what do you think? You want kids to walk out? Yeah, I would agree with you totally that I I don't want them to agree with me. And I certainly don't want them to take away uh, any of my ideas on life and politics and the worlds around us. But instead, I want them to be able to, yeah, have their own agency about it. And it wasn't because they agreed with me at all. It was because they could actually, you know, set forth an argument, defend it with evidence, do all that kind of stuff. And that's, that's the critical thinking piece that I want students to graduate with.
5: And that's what Miss Brennan and I talked about this year was so hard because class was so defined, you know, on these Zoom meetings and you didn't have like the little, like, hey, I didn't like your shoes, you know, like as people are walking in. So you didn't have, um, kind of the soft conversations that allowed kids to know, like, you know, Miss Brennan and I might disagree about who the hero in Animal Farm is, but we chatted with each other before class start. you know, like to kind of soften that, to make it like, to make it um, okay to kind of disagree. It was a little bit harder to do that online because we just didn't know each other as well. And there weren't there weren't as much, they're just not downtime where you're just like, hey, I'll do this weekend. That kind of mm-hmm. stuff went away.
2: I think that um what we're saying with like you know you're talking about the characters of animal animal farm and like you know I might not agree with this and that and like you know leaving as critical thinkers and I think like a part of that and especially a part of like reading literature too in that way and that can kind of tie into something Miss Brennan was saying earlier is like the kind of empathy that comes with like you know I know this character did something wrong but like there's just something about the way the story was presented and I think it was really interesting what you were saying about the Hamilton thing and like kind of painting Hamilton as kind of like, you know, like we're going to look at it from this way, you know, as he's kind Mm. of like this like tragic hero. And I think like I experienced the same when I listened to Hamilton originally and then watched Hamilton, I kind of experienced that same like, you know, wow, like, you know, Aaron Burr like did all this like stuff and then actually in real life he did some pretty like, you know, He did some pretty crazy things in real life too you know before and after hamilton was dead but you know in the musical it's like you he's painted as this villain but also you know Mm -hmm. he has his own parts where you're like you feel so much empathy for this character Mm -hmm. that you see him as a bad guy and you know it's like oh i'm the bad guy but you just you know it's written as so well as like you know just trying to show the different kind of sides to those characters, and like, hey, Hamilton's like the main—you know—he's the main character, but he wasn't always great all the time either, you know. But so you it's just like,
5: want, yeah, you just want yeah. students to hang on enough in the conversation to get that. To get that, right. you can mm-hmm. have two opposing, and they can. My one of my proudest moments at Manual was there was this boy, and he was a little. He was a Y-passer. I don't know if you all know these vibes yet, but he was a Y-passer. And this other girl was a pretty concrete um, MST thinker. Ooh. And I about a book we were reading. And this Y-pass kid said, you are one of the scariest people I've ever met in my life. And she was just a very sweet girl. But talking about her concrete thinking really came a little bit. And he was much looser and gray and she was pretty black and white. And I was so proud of the fact that he said that to her. And she was shocked because I don't think anybody was ever scared of her. And we just held on to that. Like she could be scary to him and he could be scary to her. We could agree to disagree. We all felt safe. We finished the book and we, you know, everybody learned something about themselves and we kind of moved forward. So I think that's the beauty of kind of what you want to happen is that all of these truths that we can hold, there's some shared truth and it's a lot harder. Miss Brennan and I both had the experience where you have somebody in the class who refuses to even play and refuses to kind of engage or has some such um, fixed views that it, it's really hard. Sometimes um, religion
4: mm-hmm.
5: um, is a really hard thing to interrupt for kids, but, That that one sometimes is a deal breaker. Um, when, when a piece of literature that's not religious but when a piece of literature really bets up against somebody's pretty um, fixed religious views it's hard to invite that person into the conversation. Um, but anyway, I, th- I think that would be my goal, to, to, that a kid can live in gray and, and be okay with gray.
3: Yeah, and that leads us into our next question. Um, You're do welcome. You guys, <laughs> um, do you guys have any anecdotes um, or experiences as teachers or anecdotes of students that you've maybe helped or gotten interested in reading after?
4: I went back in a few years ago and I was teaching juniors And this girl was a uh, Y-pass and she was, um, she's like this already prima donna uh, opera singer. Um, And eventually ended up getting a a full ride to Juilliard. And so, but, okay, so, but I didn't know her as that yet. So it was early in the first semester and we were talking, I use short stories to get everybody into literature and all the different parts of literature. And um, we were talking about symbols, I think. And I said, okay, so, most of you all read animal farm right and they're like yeah yeah okay so, so the pigs represent this and this and that you know we're talking about that all of a sudden this girl who's now juilliard okay studying in the opera said oh my gosh i get it now and i i looked at her and i said sophia what what is it she said that was never explained to us i could never figure out why they were pigs and why that you know and and so It made me feel good because she's an opera, okay? Operas are nothing but big old stories. And she needs to understand that story to convey her character. And so we started talking about other things. Like as we went through the rest of the year, like the magic number three. Well, I don't know if you guys have watched opera, but let me tell you, the magic number three is really important in opera. And so she would come back from either performing or watching operas. And she would tell me, oh my God, I saw this and I saw that and I saw that. And it just made me feel so good because if that's going to be her chosen profession i feel like at least i got her off just a solid start of understanding the opera that she is performing in so that's my anecdote
5: i've only cried three times in my life as a teacher in front of kids and one of them was at wagner we read so i i mentioned my struggle with wanting wanting to make sure I'm reading difficult things with kids and things that give them a run for their money. So I taught juniors at Wagner. Um, I think it was like an honors junior class. So they were kind of skilled kids ready to roll, but had Wagner kids for lots of different reasons. Many of them had not had the experience of beginning and finishing a book. Like they might've read excerpts or just like some teachers read and then they watch the movie or whatever. But I was bound and determined to read a hard book with kids that they could identify with that had some merit. So I read um, Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston with this group of juniors. It's a tough book because it's written in some vernacular and it's essentially about this girl, Janie, who lives like in three chunks. She's like a girl, has a rough marriage to this older man, and then she has this other marriage with this man who's kind of like very new agey black man, and then she falls in love with this other man who's kind of rough but he's like the love of her life so it's like three stages and we kind of sped up in the middle but then we ended up reading the last part aloud and, and it was a beautiful book and we've been doing all this stuff and I've been working hard and I was like at some point teaching feels like you're just like yanking people and I'm like oh my gosh we're making it we're making it's like May you know like I was determined to be done before derby or whatever. so it was the Thursday before we got out for derby and I was like hustling to read it out loud and when we finished, the whole class clapped. And I was like, what? And it was the most sincere, meaningful, like they understood the book. And the book has a beautiful um, like last couple pages. Janie, the narrator, is very thoughtful and she talks about laying under like a tree and looking, you know, at the sky. And um, and I was so kind. Privileged to be a part of the experience with those kids because that because they were working just as hard as me although I was the motivator to get us done but but the joy that I felt just from ha- like from allowing us all to have that collective experience of, of reading something hard but also really having great discussions um was very meaningful to me to be a part of so and, and I don't know whether those kids it really doesn't matter to me if this kid's ever read another book at all like, that the fact that I could offer them this one little moment um, and offer it to myself as well, like where we had this collective, like kind of understanding that that book was transformational for all of us.
3: That sounds like really, really- And we have me what quite I'm moved terrified. here,
1: oh my God, <laughs> it's beautiful.
4: Like, are those
3: yeah. tears, Gosh, oh my- you're welcome. <laughs> Happy Tuesday.
5: Yeah, thank you, thank you. No, but I do think, I mean, I, I also think that, that's a pain i've talked about this that's one of the pains um, that makes people angry when they're reading something they get angry it's like they're offended by what they're reading you know, i mean there's some there's a emotional thread that runs through the idea that you're writing and reading i mean it's really and so of course parents get mad because there's emotion in there or of course kids are offended people say because you're talking about whether you like it or not it's a valued you know experience so um that, that's the dangers, but it also means that there's some catharsis that comes with that, where you're like,
3: hey, look at us, we all know who Boxer is, and we laugh, him." you know, whatever. Yeah, I completely agree, and like, when reading books like this, I think it's really important to keep an open mind um, about everyone's interpretations of the story you're reading, and it, while you might not agree with it, I think it's important to respect other people's opinions, and I think that's a lot of what comes in English classes. and I think that's what a lot of people need to do, so. Ella, do you wanna ask the next question?
2: Sure. So what kind of, okay, so what kinds of things can teachers do so that all of their students feel represented on a larger scale? So all teachers, what are some things that they can do so that students are feeling represented?
4: I'm I'm not sure what <clears throat> all all teachers can do, but I can tell you what I do. That seems to help me. I don't I I don't think I can claim all students are going to feel represented, though, just because I don't I don't know if they are or not. But um, I try to do I try to read 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 as much as possible. Read like stuff times the Atlantic magazine, Washington. Uh, to be the up-to-date periodicals that have feature stuff that's going on in the world and especially with teens Um, and then listen I think it's really important about their lives Um, you know for for example this year I learned all about Olivia Olivia Rodrigo
2: okay
4: and that song's driver's license wow that was that was a big learning lesson for me but an important one too. So um, I don't, you know, it's hard. It's hard to, when you've got a class of 31 to make sure everyone is included. That's a, that's a tough game right there. Um, but I feel like I try to keep myself informed enough to, um, to be there and, and know them and know them, so.
2: I, it was so nice talking to each of you and so nice meeting you. I hope we can talk again in the future. I have to leave for right now um okay. but bye everybody.
4: Bye, ella. bye
5: ella i think just to add to miss brennan i i think the listening part is um great and i think the temptation sometimes is to listen and then you know if miss brennan's talking about her sweet cat or whatever for for them the, the teacher's inclination sometimes is to say oh and i have a cat and this character has a cat you like and to kind of turn that point into something that works for the whole class. And sometimes one of the most difficult things is to let Ms. Brennan talk about her cat and then just let it, let it sit there, you know, like to not have to, to
4: um,
5: always respond in response to what somebody says, like listen and be silent. Um, sometimes it's a hard thing, thing to do. Um, yeah, it, it, I was just thinking about that. It's the idea of including 31 people 31 times 5 is really exhausting um, as you crank back up to school, just thinking about making sure everybody feels like they have a place. Because I think, especially at this point in our history, you all are not only more aware of um, the hurt that you experience, but you're also more able to express it and kind of don't sit with it as long as maybe people who are Miss Brennan and my age, like we, we got used to like feeling hurt and just thinking well this is this is the way we're supposed to feel because adults are in charge and you all seem to refuse and kind of deflect some of that hurt a little bit so it's hard to listen to people when they're saying things that um you know express unhappiness or that they need change that changes and to rev up to to knowing that there's lots of hurt that's coming back to me and
1: there's a really important point you have so many students that it's so hard, even especially with just a single book or even multiple books throughout the entire year to include everyone, to be able to feel, have everyone feel represented. And even if every, one of, every single one of your books is diverse or has meaningful discussions attached to it that people can relate to, it's not always a guarantee that you can help everyone. You can't help everyone understand what the book wants to teach them or connect with them in a more, in a deeper way other than read this book, what's, what's the basic symbolism? What do you, what are we, what's the main theme of this book? It, it's hard to go deeper than that for every but single one of your students
5: you go into a book it's not like you pick out a book and say all right we're going to read um I keep going back to animal farm we're going to read the animal farm and this is going to be our chance to get to know each other like you don't um lots of the get to know and the respect and the kind of um validation those are the second that if you're doing it right those are the secondary outcomes you know you don't you're not choosing a book Necessarily, you're not choosing a book like, okay, this book has a Puerto Rican, um, a Haitian, and an Indian. Now that covers those people. And then next, I'm going to read somebody from Japan and China. All right, check those people. You know what I mean? You're not, I, I, don't, I don't think you can do that, but I do think you can choose a Chinese character that maybe is female and maybe is vulnerable in ways that 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 might, you know, those rings come out. So you can, I don't mm-hmm. think you can necessarily. Have a checklist for yourself but a, because if you did you would drive yourself crazy and and yeah. i'd be naive to think that just because i'm reading a book about that's by a white male means that white males is going to resonate with white males you know like a mm-hmm. so you have to be kind of yeah know. that's
3: yeah that's a yeah. really interesting point um and i can give an example of that in seventh grade Um, But we were supposed to read The Outsiders, but we ended up reading Miles Morales instead. And while I love Jason Reynolds as an author, um, um, I read the story, I didn't really connect with it. And I talked to a lot of people about it and not everybody liked it. So I went and read The Outsiders on my own. And I found that it was a lot more interesting. And while it might not have been as representative as Miles Morales, I felt like if I had read it and discussed it in my class, I think I would have benefited it and benefited from it, and a lot of other people would have. So I think that's mm-hmm. another thing we might have to consider.
4: Yeah, I think when, like, if we talk Shakespeare, and I do love Shakespeare, just not Romeo and Juliet so much, but Shakespeare is Shakespeare's texts are one of those that are what we call they have universal characters, and they have universal problems. And so when you're teaching a text like that, then everybody usually can buy in, even though it's from the 1600s. Um, that's the that's the gift and the beauty of a Shakespearean text.
5: And Miss Brennan has taught me that's the gift. She has reiterated to me, and I appreciate the lesson that that is the gift of well placed short story. Because mm-hmm. you, know, you don't have to invest. A short story is not much of an investment, but you can you like layer, in some ways, layer themes and conflicts and universalities because you're like I'm going to pop that short story in, and that stretches the conversation a little bit.
1: Yep. You don't want a grocery list. You just want to include it in the options. That's, that's awesome. I think,
5: yeah. And there's a little bit of a, it it strikes me as a little bit of a, um, stance to say that, that because you picked this, you know, that you're covering somebody's life experience because you picked this profile of a, of a, I mean, Uh If some, I deliberately don't really even look at my class lists until the first day of school. Like, I, I really don't know much about the kids that I teach before I teach them. And in some ways, because you just want, for freshmen, it's kind of beautiful because they just arrive and you don't really know where they've gone at middle school. You don't know much about them. Mm-hmm. Some of them don't know anybody in the room. So it's a chance to be a whole new person in high school. And I think assuming that I know who they are and what kind of texts they'll respond to, I, um, you know, that's just not an assumption I'm comfortable making.
3: Yeah, and when you are assigning books with, like, people that are being represented, it's, like, important that you're not buying into stereotypes and teaching these stereotypes. Yeah. Especially because a lot of people are new to reading and new to interpreting literature, so.
5: Well, and just because Mm -hmm. I'm a, you know, I I don't know, a Hispanic male doesn't mean that I own everybody's Hispanic male experience, I, th- I think, hey, you speak to me about <laughs> women's problems, you know, just let the female, you know, like,
1: yeah.
3: Okay, great. So um,
1: our next question is what, I know that we have already talked about a, little, a couple of these in your favorite books, but in general, what books would you recommend to be included in other teachers, English classes, or just for your students to read on their free time if they do want to pick out a book?
4: Hmm. Well, I think I would say definitely some Toni Morrison needs to be included somewhere. In fact, I'm thinking about looking at Sula for for ninth grade, I haven't read it yet, but. It's a hard book to read. Is it a hard one? Okay. Yeah.
5: Um, well, I don't know if you like a long windy narrative to kill a mockingbird you can't lose with to kill a mockingbird if you're a, a reader who needs a character and a plot it's kind of a good book to read mm-hmm. if you're a little bit more sophisticated than that
4: um let's let's go with not fiction but nonfiction, malcolm x i mean we we did a little book group with malcolm x and they were all nice i mean i i think it went really well and it's just I don't know if I guess it's a universal thing, but he sets up his life story so well. And it's told beautifully. So he
5: also says things. I, I read it several times of so a reading it this time that mm-hmm. talked about that. He says things that are just truth. Like, yeah, well, you know that you know, all people who wear orange shorts shorts are horrible people, and you're like, Whoa, no, I didn't know that. Like, so he speaks yeah. truth power. And he's talking to you and you're like, whoa, I had no idea that I believed that. But I guess I do now, Malcolm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and
4: he he constantly goes on, well, in this one section anyway, about the devil, the devil white man. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) And so I was just thinking the other day, it seems like all white males should be required to read it and listen to Malcolm X call them the devil white man.
3: (laughs) That's funny. Um, (laughs) So... I mean, next question I could ask is, um, in our discussion, we talked about having books that not only have a diverse cast of characters, but as well as not falling into stereotypes or token characters. Do you feel this is important? Could you repeat that again? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, we talked about having books that not only have a diverse cast of characters, Cast of characters, Mm -hmm. but as well as not falling into stereotypes or token characters. Do you feel Mm. this is important?
4: I guess it depends on how the character is drawn by the author. So um, like, I'm just going to go back to the hate you give diverse cast of characters. uh, And the main character is in herself has a bunch of diversity in her life and uh, many different struggles in many different areas but she could also be she could you could also see her as stereotypical too um so i think it's hard i think it depends on on the reader i think it depends on the reader and the teacher how you look if you think about hamilton my sister saw hamilton at the same time i saw hamilton and she was
5: like she calls me honey she said honey, why why are all these characters not white like what on like she just had no idea what Hamilton was and was not offended by it but just totally surprised but had no expectation of that at all and so I think that that non-predictable non-stereotypical presentation of the founding fathers really made her think about how in the world is this working with this diverse cast like why does that casting choice not make the whole play fall apart like what you know like she really was really like surprised in a very positive way that it was so diverse and so I do think sometimes you know like diversifying things or making things kind of you know funky for no reason you know is not is like a character turned a corner that nobody expected let's let's talk about why, how can these two things be true for this character or whatever, then all of a sudden you just, I mean, I just think it's more interesting, which is why I like the, hey, you give, it worried me a little bit to teach it as a, I've never taught it to, to a group of people, um, you know, beyond this book group, but, um, that it just didn't, some of this, some of the breaking of the stereotypes didn't feel interesting to me or necessary, or just like she was trying to you know, like, like Aiden said earlier, have a grocery list and checking some things off mm-hmm. to, to make it fit different categories when it's for sale on Amazon.
4: <laughs> but I like yeah, that, that. That's book. a really good point. <laughs>
3: Yeah. I think the book in itself is a really good book. It's really well-written and it does portray the struggles of what a lot of people do face but grouping it in as a general struggle of a certain group is completely wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's what a lot of people tend to do. And um, I think that we should start to give literature that kind of gives the main character as a representative person, but doesn't necessarily go through the stereotypical problems of the
5: people. I'll just go back to, I mean, reading on your own is a whole different thing, but when you're a teacher, I mean, you only have, we only see you um, very limited time. I mean, two or three times a week. And so you just have to be very like, uh, now I'm thinking, good Lord, Miss Brennan's going to read Sula with her kid. Like, like I'm, I'm, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> wow, that is a choice. But I'm thinking because you only, I mean, and I will talk to her about that and she'll be right. But, but you know, you only have so much time. So you're like, shoot, are you going to spend, what are you going to, mm-hmm. you're precious because it's Mm -hmm. teaching i mean reading a book as a teacher is different like reading malcolm x for a book group was totally different than reading it on my own at the beach or whatever first time i read malcolm x i was on a cruise ship and that's a totally different reading than you know reading it Mm -hmm. as and coming up with questions and looking at it and so you just want to pick a book that if it's breaking stereotypes or offering stereotypes that it that it it gives you a bang for your buck because you only have 36 weeks with kids to you know change their lives
4: forever
1: <laughs> okay so this is an unscripted question that i just wanted to ask really quick we may no edit this
4: nope. we, may nope.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we may edit this out because i don't have all the information but i recently heard that in May, the um, part of Texas's government is thinking about removing um, things such as critical race theory and um, important historical events for people of color and minorities in American history. I was um, wondering what you thought about that and what the implications of that could be.
4: Well. I think we can probably safely say every English teacher at manual and in our district is, is nervous because <laughs> uh, it's in, it's in English, uh, maybe social studies, but it really is in English where we start to deal with these issues. Um, but you know what? And I, I mean, I'd heard of critical race theory, but really critical race theory is something you do in college. That I mean, that's a post-secondary um, theory. It's almost like, looking at um, literature through different lenses, like a Marxist lens or lens or a feminist lens. Um, it's just looking at it through like a race lens um, and looking at it, you know, how it's embedded in our society. I have been recently listening to the book Cast. Have you heard of this book, C-A-S-T-E? And she po- po- poses the argument that really our problems are not about race, our problems are about caste and where people are set in our society because race is socially constructed. And so so I've kind of latched onto this and I really like it. And so I hope that I never use the word racism in my class this year because it's not about racism, it's about caste and where people are placed. Um, But yes, I think I'm worried about certain parents um, coming out. I'm worried about uh, people who are protesting at the board meetings. Um, I'm worried about what our principal will do or not do. I'm worried about what our superintendent will do or not do. <laughs> so, uh, you know, well, because you think about some of the most beautiful books that people read, that mm-hmm.
5: we have that Miss Brennan and I mentioned, System or a Society. Mm-hmm holds them back and they yep. either find their voice and they flourish outside or inside of that system or they fall. Right. And so that is not critical race theory, but that is the acknowledgement that there are systems yep. and levels in society that, you know, deny people their voice. And, and you know, that that, that is simply the plot of gobs of great novels. And so- Even it, Romeo
4: it, and Juliet.
5: Yes if somebody is, um, yeah, which is cast, there you go, there's age, yeah, and schools, mm-hmm. but, yeah. Um, but, you know, if you've got, so we talked earlier about feeling safe, and feeling like you're not quite ready to introduce your child to a world that you're not sure you understand, or want them to understand, and your and that books are dangerous, if you come in with those truths, and all of a sudden, you as a teacher have to pick something that, that doesn't address that, you know, then you're really reading like I don't even know what you're reading that is of merit. You know, you might be reading. Well, you're not reading anything by Shakespeare. No. You're not anything by any African American?
4: Uh, Moby Dick. How's that?
5: Writer. Yeah, you're going back to like 18th, 19th century British. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, I think I th- I would think that teachers in Texas are crazy, crazy angry about that, but also. Think it's hilarious. At some at, on some level, the teachers and Texas think it's hilarious because there's no way that you can function as a teacher um, and not talk about some sort of truth that is about vulnerability and um, kind of injustice.
1: And just for some context, we don't have to discuss this. I'd just like you to know. Um I uh someone sent this to me, but it is called the SB3 bill that um was passed with a vote of 18 to four uh, in the Texas that Senate. It, in Texas? Yes, in the Texas yeah. Senate. Um, yeah. And some of the things that removes is women's suffrage, the history of Native Americans, the Chicano movement. And I know we were talking about protests at, at some point during the year, um, mm-hmm. the American labor movement, uh, the Snyder Act of 1924, which is Indian citizenship, uh, the institution of slavery, the eugenics movement, removing this essentially, um, the Ku Klux Klan and why they were morally wrong. Uh, they, <laughs> surprisingly, <laughs> they're planning to, to to remove Martin Luther King Jr.'s I had a dream speech and the letter from Birmingham jail. Um,
5: the cool the, thing about being an English teacher is that if you're not a you're not a history teacher. So you don't really have to stick to the truth. You can just put the document out there and kind of let it be its own truth. And you're just like, I didn't write it. I just found it. Look
0: at
1: <laughs> it. Uh, Good lord, That's a copy
5: of the constitution. <laughs>
1: yeah. The emancipation
3: proclamation. Think- yeah.
4: Yeah. Texas and a struggling and, and teachers yeah. think that's hilarious. They're that's right. In and aids. Eights- yeah, yeah. And that's what I thought too. As you were reading that list, I thought this is hilarious. And I don't know what kind of, what teacher wouldn't think this is hilarious. Um, fortunately, we are somewhat covered, but you know, covered by our union contract, but who knows? And I guarantee you, I guarantee you come January, February, there will be bills in our Kentucky legislature with yeah. the same stuff.
5: Well, the, the problem is you just can't as a teacher, I guess if mm-hmm. we're kind of, big picture thoughts about teaching you you have a huge responsibility to kids that you don't know very well at the beginning of the year and they are wonderful beautiful people who are trying to grow and explore they have family systems that are complicated and have bring different values but and it's lots of kids lots of things you have lots of standards but if if you as a teacher are afraid like if all of that nervousness and energy of reading all of her stuff for the summer and my thinking about who to leave out and who to add in and what the crap to do about Romeo and Juliet and all that stuff for some reason that turns into fear it becomes a really I think I've watched um Mm -hmm. teachers kind of lead with fear not only is it ineffective but it it really um quickly becomes something that it feels inauthentic I think I think Mm -hmm. so I just think I would tell if I had a friend who's teaching in Texas, I would tell them when I was, that I thought it was funny, but that you just <laughs> afraid of it. That it's, uh-huh. it, it, I don't know, teachers just can't be afraid because teacher yeah. is a powerful position in society to be able to present truth, other
4: people's truths to other people and let them swallow themselves. Yeah. Oh, those teachers who are afraid, then they're gonna be teaching a lot of grammar. <laughs> yeah right and you can kind of dip
5: down into yeah. that or you can kind of I mean because it is scary yeah. Martha and Miss Brenda and I both had experiences where you have a kid say something in class and they're like holy yeah. crap yeah you know like this could <laughs> blow up into this big huge or oh my gosh I can't believe or you've had experience where you're like that is awesome that kid just said exactly what I was thinking you know like where where you realize you're dealing with a hot topic and and it's you become afraid of it or if or if you've not anticipated like you know you kind of run I'm going to teach this Kind of dangerous thing animal farms kind of hot i'm gonna teach it um and i'm gonna run it to its very worst case scenario can i handle that am i okay do i still believe in animal farm enough to go to my principal and tell them why i'm teaching it if i do then i'm okay mm-hmm. but if i'm afraid of it then you're going to teach a lot of grammar
4: mm-hmm.
5: yeah or
4: lecture yeah well <laughs>
3: anyway yeah now, um, I'm gonna stop that right there. That was a really, really interesting discussion. Um, just to wrap it up, does anyone have any concluding thoughts or anything that they wanted to say but couldn't get a chance to? I
4: don't think so. Covered some good stuff.
5: My other, yeah. maybe one thing that I struggle with that we didn't really talk about is, um, I do think it's important to, I. it used to be easier to do, but for some reason, it's harder to do independent reading like where, students read their own books and bring books into, I've been thinking about how to, one thing is that kids at manual are busy. And so it's hard to expect kids to do some reading outside of school. And, you know, it used to be that like, maybe they do a book report or something. And, and I do think, I hope maybe to, I've been thinking about kind of how to talk to kids a little bit about what they read. Cause I know that you all do lots of reading that might not feel like reading, but. Still reading, and I think that's really important. You all are inundated with text and information, and um, so I think that reading is is important. And maybe something I don't incorporate here. I don't really very often look at social media as reading or that kind of that kind of intake. That because you, you all are much more um, kind of inundated than I was as a teenager. So maybe that's another kind of reading I'd, I'd like to think about. I appreciate your all's concern about this. I'm not sure where it comes from or what it to for you all, but I I do appreciate that that you are aware that teachers are making decisions and thinking about who to include and who to exclude and Mm -hmm. your
1: thoughtfulness.
4: Yeah.
1: So to wrap this all up today, we are extremely happy that you were able to attend. And um, I really, we all really enjoyed talking to you about diversification and literary representation in your classrooms and just as a general thought we would love to talk to you so again some other time especially if we're thinking of doing another podcast episode and I hope that you had a fun time here today just talking about uh, your work
4: <laughs> and books yes I loved did it.
5: I appreciate it teachers like to talk about
4: teaching so this is right mm-hmm. our wheelhouse. Yeah, that's how you know it's a good teacher. They'd love to talk about what they're doing. <laughs> Even when they're at the beach. That's right. I'm at the beach.
2: I'd like to thank Ms. Brennan and Ms. Slagle again for partaking in our interview and being on our podcast. Um, I think that that was one of the highlights of our episode in our own discussion and then having our t- some teachers to discuss with us and show us some perspectives from them. Uh, I know I learned a lot and things that I didn't really think about before. So yeah, I just like that they thank them for that. Um, and now we're going to move on to our concluding thoughts for the episode. Ahem. Cue the inspirational outro. So as we wrap up our discussion
3: today, we again want to reiterate that we have absolutely nothing against classic literature. It's just that as the years pass on, it becomes less and less relevant to today's society. And all three of us feel that the literature should be should catch up with, you know, today's society. And we all say this because we've all felt some sort of disconnect with the books we read. It feels like we're doing an assignment rather than, you know, learning something, you know, about our life that we could possibly use. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to agree with us. I know that's kind of controversial because it can go two ways. But at the end of the day, we're just three high schoolers just trying to advocate for some change in our school. Um, Ella, do you have anything to add?
2: So, if there's anything that we want you as the listener to take away from our podcast, topics like this have a lot of layers and they have a lot of perspectives, and change takes time, and recognizing that change is difficult as well and even with our topic and talking about representation in literature many people and educators writers and students have addressed this topic before and there has been productive change there has been new literature in schools so it's kind of just um another discussion that we're bringing up we're talking about it um, uh, through our lens and through our perspective with some of our own experiences, just in the hopes that maybe somebody will listen to it and they'll be like, oh, like I never really thought about it that way. Or maybe they'll relate to us and our personal experiences. Um, another thing is that we don't have, you know, an action plan to improve literature in schools. Um, It's just a kind of an issue that we recognized and we looked through our own perspective and we talked to other students about how they felt. So I just want you to stay aware, understand what you're reading and how that influences you because it's easy to think about what you're consuming, but thinking about your thoughts can be more difficult. And that is a lot of the time what English classes have you do. So try and take away as much of that as you can and use it to grow and use it to think for yourself and try different genres, try different authors, try global literature. And there's no bound to what you can learn and there's nothing that you've learned fully. So just keep that in mind. Um, Thank you so much for listening. It was a little bit rambly at parts, but uh, I hope you had a good time. I hope you learned some stuff and we'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to the Get School podcast. Please follow, share the episode and leave a review. Make sure to also follow the Kentucky Student Voice Team on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at voice team. Also be sure to check out our blog at studentvoiceforum.org. Is there anything going on in your school or area you want us to cover? Be sure to let us know by emailing podcast at KYStuVoiceTeam.org. That's podcast at KYStuVoiceTeam.org. As mentioned at the beginning, this episode is part of the Kentucky Ed Storytellers Fellowship with National Geographic. So if if you enjoyed, please do look out for other episodes featuring many other amazing students. See you all next time for another episode of Get Schooled.